Good morning, everybody. How are you today? Are you great? Come on, stand up with me. Let's praise the Lord this morning. We're glad you're here with us. Enjoying this beautiful day in the Lord.
worshiping. Have a seat, please, as Ken comes. We're so thankful that you're here today and worshiping the Lord with us. Wasn't Easter a great weekend last weekend? Let's thank God for a great Easter weekend at the church. I'll tell you what, we had a good Friday service. We had Saturday service. We had 8 o'clock service. Some of you were at 8 o'clock. People were moving all different times last weekend. And I'm glad there's not an 8 o'clock this week, aren't you? No, I'm just kidding, all right? But uh, we are thankful that you're here today. Uh, and, and then we had 11 o'clock, and all services were so well attended. Let's thank our great God for our great holiday weekend we had here. Just, uh, just a few announcements this morning. Pastor Luke is actually up speaking at Josh Watts' church this morning. Had a great opportunity to be able to speak for Pastor Josh at City Church, Newcastle. So you can be praying for Pastor Luke as he's up there speaking this morning. And then uh, just a few other announcements here. First of all, I'd like to welcome everyone here. If this is your first time here, I'd like to invite you to stop by our Welcome Center. The, you'll see the welcome desk there in the foyer. Uh, just stop by there after the service. We'd like to just say thank you for coming. We have a small gift just to welcome you and say thanks for coming. Uh, we're just so glad that you're here. Our mission is to bring people in a growing relationship to Jesus Christ. And so uh, that's, that's what we do, and we'd like to invite you to be a part of the journey. I'd like to also share with you we have baby dedications coming up. That will be on Sunday, May the 9th. If you had a baby in the middle of the pandemic, this is, don't they call them perennials? You know, Corona, L's. I'm just going to, all right. All right. So uh, if you had a baby during the pandemic or maybe your baby, you wanted to dedicate your baby before all the pandemic, we will be here on May the 9th. That will be Mother's Day and we'll be celebrating um, with uh, a baby dedication. Someone encourage you, if that's you, sign up and, and get your baby dedicated. Uh, just go to the church website or you can stop by the Welcome Center. They can help you to find that information. And then next week we have our, uh, starting at 9.30 a.m., we have a foundations class taught by Wade Baker. Um, this is a class that we'll meet down the hall here in room A207. It will be 9.30. So what we're inviting people to do is to come and check out this class at 9.30 and then go to church at 11. Uh, space is limited in, in there. And Rhonda, would you tell us, I know as you're helping to coordinate that, would you explain the class a little bit? We're excited about this class for, um, you know, maybe new people that have just built a relationship with Jesus. And they're kind of like, okay, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. Now what do we do? What do we do with that? More than just coming on Sunday morning, can we dig in a little bit deeper? And so that's what this class is for. It's going to tell you, um, it's the core truths to build your life on. It's the foundations of the Bible, of God, of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, of the church. And it is also for those of you that have maybe been in a relationship with Jesus for quite a while, but you're kind of gotten stale a little bit. You're kind of like, I don't remember the basics, like going back to the basics of why I believe what I believe. This would be a great class for you. So anyone is invited to come to this class. It is just the foundations of our faith. And so there are orange papers out at the Welcome Center if you'd like to take one. All we need you to do is just sign your name and maybe um, a contact and we will get in contact with you regarding that starting next week. Also, you can sign up online, crsmin.com but we'd love to have you. If that's something that you're just kind of like, I would love to know more about Jesus and how I can grow my faith, this is the class for you. Thanks. All right. So we're looking forward to that. That begins next Sunday. And then we also just, uh, I want to encourage you and just say thank you for your faithfulness and giving. Uh, God has been so good to us. You know, through the pandemic, we haven't even been passing the offering plate down the aisle. Last week on Easter, some, somebody came up to me and said, Hey, uh, you don't pass the plate anymore. What, where, where'd it go? 
said it's pandemic, right? So we don't pass the plate during the pandemic. And uh, the, the, the boxes are on the wall in the back. Uh, you can give through the boxes on the wall. You can give through the mail or you can give online. And I just want to say thank you. You've been so faithful in your giving. And you're, God's been faithful to you. Amen? And as you see his faithfulness, you've been faithful to him. And so uh, it's a real joy and a real privilege to, to watch a group of people grow and to see our church grow. We, uh, we're growing in the grace of giving, as, as the scripture says, and I'm just so thankful. You know, today as, uh, as I was walking around here, I got to see a few people, and uh, I'm just so happy. I'm seeing people that, uh, that haven't been... Uh, haven't been around for a while that are uh, feeling more comfortable to come back. And I saw one lady, I won't pick on her publicly because she'll kill me, but she said, she told me today it was 13 months and uh, she's just so happy to be back. And we thank God for that today. God is so good. God is so good. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just thank him for all these good things. God, you're so good to us. Lord, we thank you for the way that you've been moving. God, we thank you for the great Easter weekend last week. We thank you for the great mission that we have ahead, Lord, bringing people into a growing relationship with you. God, I pray that as we continue to move forward, Lord, that you'll bless each gift, bless each giver as we respond to your name, respond to the faithfulness. Lord, you've been so good to us. You've been so faithful to us. We get to respond to you and, 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 and just show you that you are faithful and say thank you, Lord. So, God, we thank you for that. We thank you for our lives that we're able to give to you, that we're able to uh, live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for you. And so, Lord, I just pray now that as we meet together today and we continue to worship you, you'll be blessed by, your, by the worship of your people. And be with us, Lord, as we open your word and we allow you to minister to us this morning. In your name we pray. Would you stand with us one last time, please, as we raise our voices to the Lord in song. Greater than the sun. 
Amen. God is worthy of all of our praise. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a seat, please. God is good to us. Continue to thank him. Amen. Let's thank him. He's a great God. He's worthy of all of our praise. Good worship this morning. Good to hear you worship and praise the Lord. And uh, now we come to a time of worshiping in the Word. And as we worship him, we're going to allow him to minister to us, allow his spirit, the spirit of God to speak to us. And so as we've been, we've been on our series, Remarkable, you know, last week we jumped ahead and uh, we started in Mark chapter 1 about six weeks ago. And then the last two weeks we jumped ahead in Mark to look at the crucifixion, the resurrection. And so now we're coming back and we're picking up in chapter 1. We spent four weeks already in chapter 1. We've been looking at this Jesus. Remember, this was a, a letter that was written. Mark has written, written this letter. He's telling the, his account of the... Uh, John Mark is telling us the account of Jesus. And the very first line of the book says that this is the good news that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, that he is God. And so as we get through this and, and you start going through there, remember, we looked at, uh, we saw Jesus' baptism. We saw that the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Then he sends his Son out to the desert. And, uh, and, and in the desert, he grows. In the desert, he, he gets stronger and he says no to the temptations. I mean, he never had to worry about saying no to temptation. He said no to temptation all his life. But in the desert, God was preparing him and he's faced with the devil face to face. And he, and, and he says no to temptation. And then as, uh, as we see him begin his ministry, his very first day in ministry, he's teaching and he finds a demon-possessed man. And uh, they had seen religious people all the time. They were used to religion. Religion is still prevalent in our world. But Jesus was a man of authority. And Jesus, was he, uh, because he was God, he was able to speak to the demon-possessed person. He said, be quiet. And, he, and then he said, get out of here. And he cast the demon out of that man that day. And then, then he goes out and he begins to heal and he has this tremendous time healing people in the, in the, in the community and the people are lined up at Peter's house. He, he heals Peter's mother of a fever and, uh, and then people start to line up uh, and, and then the next morning he gets up, he escapes to pray. And then he says, I'm not going back there because I was meeting with the father and the father told me it's time to go to another place. And so today we pick up in chapter one, verse 40. And I want you to see this because it's so powerful this morning. We see the ministry of Jesus continues. He says, Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. I want you to understand, you know, when we read through this in the Scripture, we see, well, it was just a leper. Yeah, we've heard about a leper. But I want to encourage you. I want you to think about what it means when it says a leper came to him. A leper had the, the disease of leprosy, obviously, and we don't really have much uh, understanding of leprosy today because it's really not around in our world today. Leprosy in the first century was a, a, a death sentence, particularly if you lived in Israel. Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, and if you go back to the Old Testament, 
and read Leviticus 13 and 14, you'll find that they had religious laws on how to deal with somebody with leprosy. As a matter of fact, it's kind of gross. What, <laughs> if you go read <laughs> Leviticus 13, it's kind of gross. It says that if you had an infection, you had to come and show it to the priest. I am so glad that I live in modern era, you know. If you came and showed me your infection, I'd be like, ah, God, I want to be something else. <laughs> uh, you know, and listen, these people came and they showed them their infection like, like they were a doctor. And, and if it was oozing with pus, and I mean, just read it. It's like, oh, my goodness. Like these priests had to do that. And so they, they would go through that. He would explain to them to show yourself to the priest. And if the priest identified that it was an infection, you had to be isolated for seven days. And then if it didn't heal, you'd have to be isolated for another seven days. And as long as you had an infection, you had to be kept outside of the city. This is way before we understood bacteria. This is way before we understood uh, modern medicine. 330 years before science would catch up. I'm sorry, 3,300 years before science would catch up with modern, uh, with, with, before science would catch up with these things. God says that I've created the body and I know how to deal with an infection. God gives us these laws in the, in the Bible that would help us to understand how to do with this. A, a, leopard, a leper would be kept separate. They would have to wear sackcloth. Sackcloth was the, the clothes of the dead. It was the clothes of the mourning. And so you would have to wear it. And then it's very interesting. If you go in Leviticus 13, it says to put, put a cloth over your mouth. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Where have I heard that before? Put a cloth over your mouth, but just for the people that were sick. So put a cloth over your mouth. And then he says, uh, and then he says uh, the Talmud, now check this out. The Talmud says this, to stay two paces away from the infected person or about six feet. Where have I heard all this before? 330, sorry, I'm really off on my math today. 3,300 years before modern science could discover what this was all about. Jesus, God in the Old Testament, had it written down how to deal with somebody that had an infection. You don't mess with an infection like leprosy. This was the king of all infections. And, uh, and, and it would slow, what it would do was slowly would kill the nerves. It would start out as a rash, and it would slowly start to kill the nerves. It would go to the extremities of the body. It would start with the toes and the fingers. It would go to the nose. And, and pretty soon you would no longer have any feeling left in those parts of the body. And you could last for many, many years. You could last 20 to 30 years with leprosy. It would likely kill you or the effects of it would kill you. It just began to destroy. And because you couldn't feel anything, you would walk on, walk on something that would just continue the infection even further. And, and so, so as you look at this and you see this, I want you to understand that in the day of Jesus, when a leper came up to Jesus, this was not something to be taken lightly. This wasn't something like we're dealing with even in our modern world. You know, today, if uh, uh, you know, they, they would have to walk in and they would have to yell, unclean, unclean. You know, it'd be like you coming into church today. Coronavirus, coronavirus, you know. Um, you know, I remember when this all started last year, I thought, man, if you got that, it'd be like wearing a big C on your shirt, right? The scarlet letter, corona. Uh, listen, this, this leper was far worse than anything we've ever seen. And a leper was so far outcast, they couldn't go to worship. They weren't allowed to come into worship. They couldn't go to work. They couldn't have family functions. They couldn't do anything because of this uncleanness, because this infection was so, uh, so scary to them. Later on, we find out that uh, in 1871, a 
a doctor by the name of Dr. Armour Hansen discovered that leprosy was a bacteria that lives on skin. And while it's not curable, it is now treatable. In the 80s, they discovered a mixture of antibiotics that could actually treat it. But you're talking 2,000 years before that. And this man comes in, and the culture of the day was for him to stay away. And he comes up to Jesus. Now, check this out. A leper's not allowed to get within six feet of anybody. A leper's not allowed to even come into where all the people are at. He comes in, he finds Jesus, he comes up to him, and he's begging him. He gets down on his knees and he says, if you are willing. That's a big if. I, you know, if you're following along in your Bible, you can circle that. If you, you can. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, verse 41 Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, touched him, and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. He's filled with compassion. One translation translates it a little bit different, says he was he was filled with indignation. And I'm like, how can you have compassion and indignation at the same time? And so here's what was happening. They're trying to convey this idea of the passage here. That he was he was filled with compassion. He was motivated. He saw somebody that was hurting and he's going to do everything he can to help him, but he's also upset. Jesus was present at creation. He understands everything about us, and he sees that here was the effect of sin on the body. Oh, not his particular sin, but sin in general, that in the fallen world, the the effect of the fall from way back in the Garden of Eden, this was the effect of the fall that uh, the disease and brokenness would be into our world. And so as Jesus comes up to him, remember, if you touched somebody that was unclean, you then became unclean. And what does Jesus do? He stretched out his hand, and that hand goes on to that shoulder. Nobody's touched this man in 10 years, maybe 15. And the man probably flinched, and Jesus puts out his hand, and he touches him, and he says, I am willing to be cleansed. I am willing to be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him. And he was cleansed. Immediately he was cleansed. And, and as we look at this, you see this great miracle of Jesus. You see, wow, look what Jesus did. He, he heals this leper and we see his power. We see his might. And all throughout this first chapter, we've been seeing his power and authority. He has power and authority over the demons. He has power and authority over disease. And even more than that, he has power and authority over the law. Because you weren't supposed to touch that guy. And I want to share this with you. When you look at these stories in the Bible, the way that Jesus dealt with people then is the way that he deals with us now. Read that with me. The way Jesus dealt with people then is the way he deals with us now. Oh, I'm not necessarily talking about being healed of a disease because many people don't get healings. We pray for a lot of people. I pray for many people. Many people get healed. Many people don't get healed. This is all in the plan of God. But the way he dealt with them, you know what? Jesus was not afraid to touch the leper. Jesus wasn't afraid of the problem. And I want to encourage you that not only is the way that Jesus dealt with people the way he deals with you, because Jesus is not afraid of you. He's not afraid of your sin. 
You know, you've been holding some sort of sin in your heart. You've been holding some sort of bitterness. You have something that you haven't let go of and, and all these things. God says, I'm not afraid of that. I'm going to reach out. I'm going to touch you. And I'm going to heal you. But look at the, the attitude of the man. He says, if you are willing. And I think that we've got to come to God like that. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus responds. He says, I'm not afraid of you. And the second thing I'd like to just draw out into that, you can add that into your notes, is the way that Jesus dealt with people is the way that we ought to deal with people. You see, I'm not afraid of anybody's sin. I don't have to sin with you to, to, uh, to identify, do I? I don't think that God ever said that, but God says he's not afraid of your sin. He didn't sin with anybody. He sat with sinners. As a matter of fact, we see this over and over. He sat with sinners uh, over and over. He, we see him talking with them. We see him having dinner with them. People that the religious leaders would not eat with, not, would not, not have, a, have a, a good time with. Jesus sat down with them, and he brought them unto himself. And so when you see leprosy in the Bible... Quite often it's, it's an identification, like kind of thinking about sin. You know, it's this unclean, and here's the clean God. And so can you imagine what's going on here? When we approach Jesus, we enter into his willingness, not reluctance. When we approach Jesus, so when you come to Christ, you're approaching his willingness. He says, are you willing? If you can... I, I believe that you can do this. If you can, will you heal me? When you come to Christ with whatever burden it is that you're carrying, whatever problem it is that you're dealing with, God says, listen, you're coming to my willingness. God never rejects us. Aren't you thankful for that today? I've never been rejected. As many times as I've failed God, as many times as I have not held my part of the deal, God says, listen, I will never cast you out. I love you. You're my child. And so when we approach Jesus, we come to him. He is, you're coming to his willingness, not his reluctance. And, and unfortunately, we live in a world today where many people only know what the church is not about. They only know the bad things. They only say, well, you know, the, the, the church doesn't, uh, doesn't stand for this or the church has a problem with that. In the meantime, those are side issues. I think all issues, nothing, no other issue is more important than to know Jesus. And I want to encourage you to come to that. Come to know Jesus. And, and listen, leave your issues to the side because our world is full of issues, is it not? Have you noticed the, the issues today are different than they were yesterday? And issues tomorrow will be different than they are today. And so there will always be an issue. There will always be something that, that will get people riled up. There will always be something that gets us moving. But allow your guilt to draw you to Christ. Don't repel don't be repelled. You see, here's what happens. Many people come and they say, well, you know, God wouldn't love me. Or God's mean, therefore I don't even want nothing to do with it. Well, wait a minute. Let's just think about those statements. God is what? Wait a minute. But God didn't allow this to happen. Okay. But you're still breathing today. You're still here. God has allowed us to survive a global pandemic. Uh, uh, we, we've survived all kind of ups and downs. The, the world is at disaster, and you're still here. You're still worshiping the Lord. So when we come to Him, remember, allow your guilt to draw you to Him, not to be repelled from Him. Jesus healed him, and He had one thing to ask. Look here. He strictly warned him, and He sent him away at once. And He said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. Now, I love this. He's like, I just have one request. Don't tell anybody. 
And the reason he was doing this was because he knew it wasn't the time yet. It wasn't the time to really go wild with his ministry. It wasn't the time to, to just go, like, have the crowds constantly. He already was dealing with the crowd, the crowd. He says, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest. So, so what they had to do in Leviticus, whenever you were cleansed of leprosy, you would have to go to the priest and you would have to offer yourself. He says, go show yourself, offer your cleansing, those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And I want, I want to, this is so wild because they had never seen it happen before. Like they had the priest manual, it was called Leviticus, right? So, so whenever this man comes in and says, hey, I've been healed and they all knew him. He's Leper Larry, right? That's my name for him. Somebody asked me last night what, what translation I was using. I said, that's the Ken James Barner translation. Okay? Um, Leper Larry. So Le- Leper Larry, he comes in here and, and he comes in to, to the priest. He says, hey, look. And they've all known Leper Larry. Listen, his limbs were turned around, club-footed and sores everywhere. And everybody was staying away from this man for years. And, and like, wait a minute. You've been, you've been what? And he's like, look, look. It, it. And so they're, they're like, okay, let's go to Leviticus 13. How do we do this? Because we've never had to do a sacrifice for somebody healed of leprosy. You know what a rabbi, the rabbis of that day said that it was, uh, if you were to be healed of leprosy, you would have to have your sins forgiven first. Well, check out what happens. Instead, he went out and began to proclaim it freely. To spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer open, openly enter the city, but was outside in the deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Instead, he goes out and his, 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 uh, his way of moving is not to do what God said. Like he just got this tremendous healing and Jesus says, now listen, don't go tell anybody. Just go do this. Go to the temple. It'll be a testimony. God will be praised. And instead, what's he doing on his way? He goes, look at me. Look at me. I've been healed. I can, man, holy cow, I can feel my feet again. I can only imagine, like, you know, did, did, did parts of his hand grow back? It, it was part of his nose missing, and then all of a sudden he looks in the mirror and his nose is back. I don't know. All I know is he's been healed of leprosy, and it, it's gone, and God has made him whole. And so he goes in there, and he went out, and he's proclaiming it. You know, if you come here to church and you, you start to follow Jesus, the first thing I tell you to do is go tell everybody. Go tell everybody. Tell your wife. Tell your husband. Tell your kids. Tell your family. Let everybody know. Jesus said, don't tell anybody. He says, I want you to keep this under lid. Instead, Leper Larry had his own idea. Leper Larry says, hey, listen, I, I think that uh, I think I know how God can really use me. I'm going to go out and I'm going to be his biggest broadcaster. And then all of a sudden it says that he could not continue. People were coming. And where does Jesus have to go again? Back to the desert. He goes to lonely places. Isn't it interesting in the temptation? He's out in a lonely place. Whenever he goes to get fuel, he goes to an, praying with the Lord to a lonely place. And now he's going to minister in a deserted place. Folks, don't be surprised when God places you somewhere. It's probably not the place you wanted to be. Most of us, we look at the deserted places and we say, oh, man, I thought, you know, I'm going to follow God and it's going to be wonderful and everything will be happy. God keeps taking Jesus back out to these places. And he continues to minister. And I want to ask you today, what are your insteads? 
Like when God's done something in your life and, and he's asked you to do something now, you say, well, my insteads. What are, here's my instead. Instead, you know, I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but instead, this is how I'm going to do it. Let me give you a little illustration of this. Um, I haven't told you many dad stories lately, okay? But I'll just tell you a dad story. My dad was a character. Some of you remember him. He was a character. We lived in Dormont, and I had a yard. It was probably about the size of the stage. That was our backyard. It was a postage stamp, right? And we had there was a fence on either side of that little backyard, 1340 Arkansas Avenue. It was a great place to live. We loved it down there. And, uh, and I'll never forget, on the right side as I go out the backyard, we had a neighbor on that side. Her name was Ann, and she had this tree. Here was our fence, and here was the tree. And that tree would put leaves. It seemed like they only fell on our side of the property line. Okay? And my dad hated that tree. I don't know. Maybe we were just such city people. We didn't like trees. I don't know what it was. Right? He hated the tree. So he'd go and say, Ann, can I take the tree down? Ann was elderly, and Ann said, no, I'm not taking the tree down. I want that. It's the only thing I enjoy in life. It's beautiful. So my dad one day goes out, and he shaves off all the limbs on our side of the fence. I was like, Dad, that's pretty cool. You see, love my neighbor. Instead, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. You don't understand, Ken. Them leaves clog our gutters. I understand about it now. My own tree clogs my gutters. My dad took it a step further. I'll never forget this. He went out and he drilled a hole because, you know, the roots came under our side. He drilled a hole into the ground. He poured gasoline in the hole where the roots were. My dad loved my neighbor, but he hated her tree. And I want you to catch this because that's kind of what we do. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but instead I'm going to take it into my own hands, right? I know what God's called me to do in my finances, but instead I'm going to do what I think I should do. I know what God says in his word about morality and sexuality and all these things, but instead, I'm going to do what feels good. And so we end up in this world of making our own decisions with us at the center instead. And I want to encourage you to come and not not place your life about your emotions, what you feel is right, but this is God. And if he is really God... Let's not be the instead. Let's not be the however. Let's not add that clause into this. And let's worship him for who he is. And, and I'm not in his box. I'm, I'm in his box. He's not in my box. I'm in his box. So are you. And so when we place God at the place of authority, he has power. And, you know, we want him to have power over the disease in our life. But many times we don't want him to have power over loving my neighbor. Like I still want to. Pour that gas down the neighbor's tree, right? Now, I hope none of you ever do that. Please, don't ever do that. But, you know, there's disputes like that all the time, isn't there? This is modern-day America. We have a dispute with a neighbor all the time. And while you may not be pouring gas down a tree, you may be thinking about it. <laughs> you may be like, Rah! God healed you. God's given you eternal life, and you have to get even. God's given you eternal life and you have to be selfish. God's given you life that can begin now and, and you can't lose a battle here on earth. Oh, my goodness. God says, let's come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What are my insteads? Our struggle here on earth. 
will always be between God's greater plan and our desires. I want you to catch it. Read it with me. Our struggle will be between God's greater plan and our desires. You know, sometimes we struggle with the things that God says and in uh, my goodwill. It's not even violating what he wants, but like God's, God's not leading us to do something, but I'm leading me to do something, right? So God says, listen, I want you to follow me. And so we, there are things in his word that God says to do this. And I said, well, I want to do this because this is how I feel over here. Our struggle will always be between God's plan and our desires. Mark 2, chapter 1, he continues on. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come. They entered in such a crowd. They gathered in such a large crowd numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he prepared uh, he preached the word to them. Now, check this out. This, if you're going through the book of Mark, this is the fifth time in one chapter, right into the second chapter, the fifth time so far, we see that he came to preach. He preached. He taught. He proclaimed. We see this. This is five times in just this one and a half pages that we've been spending a month on, right? So we see that they gathered in a large crowd, and he, he didn't come to heal. He came to preach. He came to preach the good news. He came to teach the good news. That repentance, if you'll just repent, turn from your sin to God, He will take care of the rest. Believe on Him. He didn't say repent from your good, uh, from your bad to become a good person. No, He said repent from where you're at and trust Me that He is who He said He is. And so these people were gathering together. They're in a large room. This place is packed out. There's people everywhere. And so I want you to catch it. The scene is these people are hanging out the door. They're looking everywhere. Um, When we go on missions trips sometimes, we'll have a meeting and I'll see this happen. We'll, We'll gather because we're, we're the guests in town and people will come and they'll be sitting on top of each other. You'll see them peeking in through the windows. You'll see them hanging at the doorways. This is what was happening with Jesus. Since they could not get uh, some of the men bringing to him, they came to him, bringing him a paralyzed man and they carried by four of them. Uh, so here's what happened. We had leper Larry. Now we have Pete. This is paralyzed Pete. All right. So that's how I'm going to keep him straight today. All right. So paralyzed Pete. I want you to think about this. Here's Pete. Pete has been hanging out in his house. He's got this little shack just down the street. And, and, and he sits in that room and he can't ever go anywhere. He, he, he's crippled. He can't move. He can't move his lower extremities. He can't walk at all. And so he hears all the commotion going down there. And people are saying, man, this man Jesus comes and, and he's got good news. And he's teaching all this good news, but he also heals people. So, so some men, they came bringing him, bringing this paralyzed man. They, they go and they say, man, this place is, this is where Jesus is. They go and they get him and they get a stretcher, they get a mat, and, and they carry him. And I want you to envision something with two poles. Here's two men in the front, Pete's in the middle, and two men in the back. And they, the four of them carry him down because he's, he can't move on his own. So they carry him down to, to get there. Since they could not get in, now check this out. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. So the crowd is packed out. And all these people are standing around. They're hearing what Jesus is saying. They're listening intently. They never heard anybody speak with power and authority. Remember that. They've never heard anybody like this. And Jesus is standing there. He's teaching. And so they're like, hey, can we get in? Look, we, we got this guy. He really needs to see Jesus. And they're like, no, 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 no. They're, they keep looking. They keep the crowd out. 
So they made an opening in the roof. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. And then they lowered the mat that the man was laying on. And I can't help but think that the people had to be distracted. (laughs) You know? Could could you imagine it's Easter Sunday? Wall-to-wall people. And all of a sudden, you hear Jim Watts up there. (laughs) You know? And you see the sawdust starting to fall down. Man, I tell you, you'd be like, what is going on in this place? Um, the, the, the way that the roofs were made that day, they would have these beams that would go across. Then they would put thatching across the opposite way. And they would put mud all over it, and the mud would harden. Then they'd put kind of these towels on there. And it would get hard up there, but the people would often go up there, and they would sit out there in the evenings in the cool of the evening and, and just relax because the, their houses were like ovens. There was no air conditioning. Uh, it was just like a, a clay oven, if you will. And so they would often go out there. So, so Jesus is inside speaking, and, and he goes, the, these four men, they carry their friend. They can't get in. So imagine taking this leper up. And you're like, how do they get up on the roof? Well, they quite often have a set of stairs who get up to the, to the rooftop where the people would sit out and talk. And so they carry him up there, and it says that they were digging. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. You know, sometimes when you're bringing somebody to Jesus, it takes a little bit of work. Sometimes when you're bringing somebody to Jesus, there's a little bit of sweat equity. And I want to encourage you with that, because this was four guys who really cared. And they said, we know the only hope for this guy is to be with Jesus. And so they lowered him down. Could you imagine that? Mark chapter 1. Pay attention here, folks. It's just a man coming down. The guy's lowered down. And as he's lowered down, now check this out. He's lying on the mat. They lower him down. And imagine the four of them, you know, they're trying to keep him balanced. Jesus saw the man. He saw the faith of these guys. And he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And the four guys up there, they're like, what did he just say? We wanted him to walk. What do you mean? We didn't catch him doing something bad. We, we want him to walk. What, what's this all about? We thought he was going to get healed today. And so Jesus saw their faith. And, and I want to explain this to you because the faith of somebody else doesn't get you into heaven. I want you to know that. But Acts 16.31 says to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your house. And what that means is that the other people around you will see your faith and they will come to Jesus. And so when Jesus saw the faith of these people, he said, listen, I'm going to take care of you. You've got a greater need. Oh, you thought, you thought that walking was your greatest need. He says, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take care of you. You've got a greater need. And I want you to think about what was happening. If you were paralyzed, what would be the only thing on your mind? I wanna walk. I wanna walk. I wanna walk. And if I get to walk, if I get to walk, that'll be the greatest day of my life. If I could just walk, I can go to church again. If I could just walk, I'll probably find a spouse. If I could just walk, I'll get a job. If I could just walk, and you're, you're going through this all in all. And so what this man was doing was he was making his identity on the if. What if? And Jesus saw that, listen, I'm not going to help you become your own Savior. You see, if I can walk, then I become my own Savior, Right? And so Jesus says, whoa, 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 there's something more here. This isn't about you becoming your Savior. I'm the Savior. 
So when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, your son, your sins, son, your sins are forgiven. You see, our real problem is that we are building our identity on something besides Jesus. There's something out there that's more than uh, uh, more than Jesus that we want to build on. And, and maybe for you, you have an if too. If I just get this, I could do that. If this happens, then everything will be fine. If, you know, if my marriage works, then I'll be fine. If I'm healed of this disease, then everything will be fine. If, if, if. I want you to think with me today about what your ifs are. Cynthia Hamill was a, a journalist, and I don't, I don't believe she was even a believer. Over the years, she had known actors that were struggling and just wanted to to make it to be, and become famous. They would say, if only I had this, or if only I had that, if I would have this fame, if I could get this acting job, if I, my career would take off, I would be happy. And then, like many people, they were stressed. They were driven. They were easily upset. But when they actually got the fame that they had been looking for, um, she says that they became intolerable, unstable, angry, manic, They were now unhappier than they used to be. And you see, here's what happens. When we make our identity out in this, if I just get there, there's a real danger. Because when you get there, what do you do? When you get there and you find out that it's not what you thought it was. And and so so this man is making his identity. If I could just... If I could just walk, right? And, and his friends are saying, we want to help him to succeed. Our real problem is that we're building an identity in something that's not Jesus. Cynthia Hamill continues. She says, I pity celebrities. No, I really do. I pity them. They were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. More than any of us, they wanted fame. They worked. They pushed. And then the morning after they attained... Each one of them became famous. After they became famous, they wanted to take an overdose. Because that giant thing that they were striving for, that fame that was going to make everything okay, that thing was going to make their lives bearable, that was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness. It had finally happened, and nothing changed. They were still them they were disillusioned. Uh, the disillusionment turned them howling and intolerable. She continues on. She says, I think that God wants to play. If God wants to play a rotten joke on you, he grants you your deepest wish. And I think, you know, there's a lot of truth to that. When we build our identity in something outside of Christ, it's not what it's cracked up to be. Like. It can be something very good, very healthy. But my identity has got to be in Jesus Christ, not what I want, what I feel, what I think. It's got to be in who he is. And when we understand that he's the king, and if he is really the Lord, C.S. Lewis in The Voyage of the Dawn Trader, he, he, uh, if you read the book and you watch the movies, it talks about a boy named Eustace, and Eustace was the boy that everybody didn't like. He hates everything, and everybody hates him. He's selfish, he's mean, and nobody can uh, get along with him. But he finds himself magically one day on the boat, the Dawn Trader, and, uh, and he's, taking great, uh, he's taking this great voyage. At one point, the, vo- the boat pulls into an island, and Eustace wanders off and, into a, and he finds a cave. The cave proves to be filled with the demands of rubies and gold. He thinks, I'm rich, I'm rich, I've attained it, and immediately... Because he is who he, who he is, he thinks that now he'll be able to pay everybody back. 
Anyone who has laughed at him, stepped on him, slighted him, now he will get him back. Eustace then falls asleep on the pile of treasure. And what he doesn't know yet is that, the, that, that this uh, is the horde of the dragon. And because he falls asleep with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, he, when he wakes up, he becomes a dragon, big, terrible, and ugly. Soon he realizes there's no way out. He can't get out of the boat. He's going to be left on the island alone. He's going to, uh, he's going to be horrible all of his life. He falls into despair. And one day, the great lion Aslan shows up, leads him into a clear pool of water, and tells him that he must take this off and he must jump in. And suddenly, Eustace realizes what he means, that he must take off the skin of the dragon. I want you to watch this. It's just a short little clip of Eustace. begins to gnaw on the claw of the scales and he realizes that he can he can't uh, that he can shed his skin he's working at it he finally peels it off but to his dismay he finds the underneath he's got another dragon skin so as you watch the movie the skin keeps uh, peeling off and what he does is he realizes that he needed the help of Aslan and Chronicles of Narnia, whenever you see this, this lion Aslan, it was all about, yeah, this is the Savior. It was Jesus. It's a, it, it, like he was writing through uh, stories to help get your attention. And I want you to catch this because I love what he's, in the book he says this. He says, I was afraid of his claws. I can tell you, but I was pretty, I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first terror that he had made was so deep that I thought, uh, I thought it had gone right to my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. When he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the three other times, only they hadn't hurt, and there, there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than, others, uh, than the others had been. Then he got hold of me, and he threw me into the water, it smarted me like anything but only for a moment. Then I saw I turned into a boy again. And I want you to catch this because many of us, we place our identity in this over here. And when we're peeling that off and when we don't get those things and whenever we're, we're, our identity is hurt over here, we are in this painful moment. We say, I don't want to give this up. And God says, hang on, let me peel this off. Let me peel this off and let me show you what I'm going to make in you. That's what happened with this paralytic. He, he at first, he says, you know, um, you, know, <laughs> your son, uh, you know, you have been healed because of the faith of, of your four friends. And I want to encourage you, let, let's, let's go after this. Let's, when's the last time we carried somebody to church? When's the last time we carried somebody into Jesus? Like, you might have to drag them sometime, folks. It's okay. You might have to buy them breakfast or lunch. It's okay. I'll go with you. It's okay. 
You know what I mean? Listen, bring them to Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. Why? Because they don't know the dragon that they're living in. They don't know that their identity is placed in their job or that their identity is placed in what they can do on the house or what they can do in the community or what they can do in the world as a great leader, whatever. Listen, we all struggle with this. We all struggle with putting our identity in something temporary. And Jesus says, I want your identity to be in something so much bigger. Continuing on, Mark 2, 6, now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves. So this is so cool. Jesus, not only can he tell this man your sins are forgiven, but he knows what they're thinking. <laughs> I love that. You remember that movie where the guy knows what people are thinking? He walks in the room and he hears a guy thinking, oh, this guy's a real jerk, you know? That, that's what Jesus did. He, he walked in. He knew what they were thinking. Some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this man blaspheme? Why does he speak blasphemies like this? Because he was claiming to be God. Only God could forgive sins. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? Think about that. Which would be easier? Is it easier for Jesus to go, you know, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. Uh, not you, Wally, your sins aren't, you know, just skip over, right? Uh, which would be easier, right? I mean, if I said your sins are forgiven, you don't know, right? You, you don't know. Only God could forgive sins. And remember the rabbis said that, listen, for somebody to be healed of these terrible diseases had to be, only had to be like their sins could be forgiven. So Jesus knows what these rabbis are thinking. And he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. And then he says to him, he says, which is easier to say, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know, now check this out, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Son of Man, I want you to catch this. Go make yourself a little note. We're out of time. You can go look this up on your own. Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 through 14. He talks about the Son of Man. The Son of Man will come. And he talks about this, the vision from Daniel. And he talks about the eternal kingdom. He talks about he's the beginning and the end. And you see all this incredible about who the Son of Man is. He says, so that you, you religious leaders who are antagonizing me, who don't understand what I'm about, so that you may know that the Son of Man has power in order to forgive sins. He turns and he looks to the paralytic, and what's he say? He says, I say to you, get up, take your mat, and go to your house. And immediately, I love that, Mark's favorite word, immediately he arose. He took up the mat, and he went out of the presence of them all. So that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. These people had never seen anything like this. They never saw a demon get cast out. There was nobody with power and authority. They never saw people get healed of leprosy. There was no power and authority. They never saw a man who couldn't walk for most of his life be able to walk again. Because they never saw somebody with power and authority. And today I want to ask you today. Do you realize that your greatest need is to be forgiven? Not to get your needs met. Read that with me. Our greatest need is to be forgiven, not to get our needs met. This is our greatest need. Man, 
When you are forgiven, when God forgives you, do you realize that unlocks the rest of your life? When God forgives you, when your sin debt has been paid in full and, and, and you don't have this estrangement with God because this estranged relationship with God impacts your, impacts your relationship with your wife, with your kids, with your neighbors, with your, the people you work with, it impacts everything. And when you are forgiven, listen, you've been coming to God to get your needs met. I need to walk. It's legit. We need to walk. We have needs. And God does care about all those needs. He says it over in Matthew 6. Pray about everything for your Father in heaven knows and he, He's taking care of you. If He takes care of the sparrow out there, know that He's going to take care of you. But your greatest need is to be forgiven. And forgiveness is the key to love. Forgiveness is the key to commitment. When you want to know how to love God, you understand that you've been forgiven. Uh, not that we loved him. Uh, we don't love him first. He loved us first. And when you understand that, man, that's the key. Uh, that's your key to your commitment in your Christian life. You say, man, I have all my insteads. Well, listen, come and understand that you've been forgiven by God. You've been forgiven by God. And all of a sudden, the insteads don't matter too much. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. Uh, sacrifice. Worship. God takes all these things. And when you have this understanding that He has forgiven you, it changes everything. For He is remarkable. Nobody's ever seen such power and authority. What will you do with it? Will you respond to Him? Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I want to ask you to respond to Jesus. Will you respond to this remarkable Jesus? He is remarkable. Like, we've been taking our time and having so much fun and looking at this. And I want you to know that He is so remarkable. He wants to forgive you of your sin. He wants to take care of your greatest need. And and maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Ken, I've not yet settled that. I haven't been forgiven. And I've heard about it. I understand that Jesus died and He rose again. But I haven't made this personal yet. I want to invite you today. Would you call upon the name of the Lord? He says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved from the punishment of their sin. They'll be forgiven. And so would you call on him right now and just pray something like this. Dear Jesus, I need you. You died on the cross and you paid for my sin. You rose again. And I trust you right here and right now. And maybe for others, you've been walking this journey, but you've kind of forgotten that He's Lord. You've kind of forgotten that He took care of your greatest need. And some of these temporary needs, they've gotten, they're painful. They've been insurmountable. I'm going to take you back to make your identity on Christ today. Would you just meet with Him right now and just say, Oh God, help me to focus on You. Help me to make my identity not in what I can do or what things happen in my life, but on you. Father God, be with each one of us, Lord, as we respond to you. Power and authority. You are the Son of God. You are the Son of Man. And we respond to you and we say thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great weekend.